That has to be kind of really cool, though, to be able to do the exercise and then see an immediate impact in terms of your symptoms um, and see that correlation. Because oftentimes I think, you know, maybe people do exercise because they know it's good for them in the long term. But to be able to see a real impact on your symptoms in the moment must be pretty gratifying. It is. And, and you know, I, I tell all these kids, uh, I say kids, but all these folks at CrossFit, you know, you guys get to do CrossFit because you want to. I do CrossFit because I have to. Yeah. It's a matter of life or death. Yeah. My, my quality of life won't be the same if I stop exercising. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of Pursuing Health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. In this week's episode, I share a conversation with Dr. Jeff Livingston, who is a retired OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the relatively young age of 36. Jeff has a remarkable story of using CrossFit to reduce his Parkinson's symptoms, maintain his functionality, and improve his mental health with a condition that is incredibly isolating. And he's not stopping there. He's organized an annual fundraiser called FoxWAD for Parkinson's Research and is advocating for CrossFit to be recognized as a modality helpful for people with Parkinson's. I first met Jeff at a CrossFit Level 1 for Physicians a few years ago and enjoyed catching up with him and hearing more about his story in this conversation. Before we dive in, though, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. And with that, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm excited to be here with Dr. Jeff Livingston, and I think we first met at your level one, your, when you came out to MDL one a couple of years ago, if I recall, right. um, and you've been very involved in CrossFit health and you have a, you know, a lot of experience and expertise as an OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine specialist, um, especially when it comes to exercise and pregnancy, but also have a very personal health story too, that I'm excited to learn more about today. So thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's just start with what attracted you to a career in medicine and then why specifically OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine, because that is a long road. I can it's, just it's, knowing it's myself, <laughs> yeah, myself a just finishing a, a three-year residency, I can't imagine, you know, four more years after that. So, yeah. so, so yeah, so the reason I went into medicine is I was a biology major and I, and I figured I could do dentistry, I could do medicine. And so I figured I'd just do medicine. I had good grades. So I went ahead and applied to med school. I didn't know what I wanted to do in med school until I did my OBGYN rotation. I saw a staff C-section. I said, I got to be able to do that. That was so cool. So I've been <laughs> a junkie since then. <laughs> so you're a bit of uh, an adrenaline junkie. You like to do be under the gun and, and well, yeah, high pressure situation. Yeah, because, you know, maternal fetal medicine, it's like a lot of specialties in, in medicine. 99% boredom, 1% sheer terror. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 1% sheer terror that sometimes keeps you going. That's what you got to be prepared for. That's amazing. So, um, go ahead. So I, so I did my, my undergrad at um, Franklin Marshall College and University of Richmond. And then I went to, um, to Medical College of Virginia where I did my residency. Then I did my four-year OBGYN training in East Carolina. It took mm -hmm. three years in general practice in a small town in Eastern North Carolina. And I went back and did a fellowship in Memphis. 
Um, and I was there for quite some time. Then I spent about 20 years in academics, where just was in private practice here from in Panama City about mm -hmm. seven years, and then I just retired last month. That's amazing. And um, I've you know looked you up on PubMed, and you did quite quite the amount of publishing, and obviously have been involved in academic medicine for a long time. Can you explain to people listening who might not know what maternal fetal medicine is, or what what? Sure. Um, yeah. Maternal fetal medicine is otherwise known as perinatology. It's one of the subspecialties of obstetrics and gynecology. It really concentrates on two things. One is maternal health. Um, so moms who have diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, HIV positive patients, anybody who's got a major medical problem that falls into, uh, they can complicate their pregnancy either from a maternal or a fetal standpoint, generally MFMs take care of or help take care of. And then there's also the fetal component of it. A lot of prenatal diagnosis and ultrasound is done by maternal fetal medicine. So if your general OBGYN sees something they're not quite sure what it is, you generally would get referred to a perinatologist or maternal fetal medicine specialist. The three-year awesome. training after, after OBGYN. Awesome. Um, and it wasn't, it sounds like it wasn't too long after you finished your training that you started to develop symptoms yourself and eventually were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at a very young age. So yeah. can you talk about that, that process of, you know, where you were in life and then how you started to notice that something wasn't quite right? Yeah, it was, it was my last year, my fellowship actually, that I noticed it was right. Okay. Right. And about that time, um, I was, I was seen by a neurologist was not a movement specialist person, but it was just a neurologist who said, I definitely did not have Parkinson's. It was some kind of variant of an essential tremor. Mm. And okay. so, took that for a ride for a little while. And then my father noticed that when I was walking down the beach, I wasn't swinging my right arm. But this is something more, more than just a tremor. So I went to see a movement specialist and was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I was 36 years old. That was 21 years ago. Wow. Um, can you just talk about what that initial, like kind of what your initial reaction was? I can only imagine, you know, just finishing your medical training, starting, you know, entering the world, finally doing what you really want to do and then being faced with this really sort of scary diagnosis. It was devastating. And, and to tell you the truth, I was not good about it because when I was diagnosed, the first thing I did is ran home and looked at my Merck manual because, you know, I do OBGYN, which are <laughs> I don't care patients who are old <laughs> and Parkinson's <laughs> disease. And so, you know, so I didn't know what I was dealing with. And all I can remember is reading uh, that the life expectancy was 10 years. That's mostly oh, wow. the older people who were diagnosed with it. But I said, man, 10 years. So I remember calling my parents, crying with them on the phone, talking to my wife about it, just being totally devastated. And from that point forward, I ignored it for about 10 years. Wow. Well, I would see a doctor, but I, really, I, I followed the medication regimen, but I wasn't actively involved. And I really didn't do much besides just take my medication. Mm -hmm. and I really tried to hide it from the world. I mean, I told the hospitals and medical boards and so like that that I had Parkinson's, but I never really, um, never really did anything, uh, you know, out in public with it. Mm-hmm. Me long enough, they could see that I had, I, I had a little bit of a tremor. A lot of people thought I had MS. Mm, okay. And did it affect your work at all in those early years? No, um, it, no it really didn't. Because the medications worked really well in the beginning. Okay. And as, as time got on, I guess I did my last delivery maybe about 10 years ago. Okay. So I babies for about 10 years, and then I stopped doing deliveries and just did consultative stuff. But okay. I continued on to do fetal transfusions up until right before I retired. Wow, that's great. Um, and so you, you went through this 10 year period where you felt like you kind of ignored it. You, you know, you took the medications and were able to keep the symptoms under control. But um, can you talk about then what changed? What, you know, after 10 years, what, what was it that changed for you that made you think about things a different way? 
Well, I, I, you know, the problem was with Parkinson's is like getting neurological disease is very isolating. Mm-hmm. And so I was isolating myself more and more so I wouldn't have to deal with the awkwardness of having tremor and difficulties with speech and understanding and stuff like that. So I finally got to a point where my wife, my parents sat me down and said, this is enough. Uh, you did an you. intervention. You did an intervention, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so this was right uh, right when we were getting ready to leave North Carolina and come down to, to, to Florida. And mm-hmm. um, I said, okay, well, I need to do something about it. So um, I started becoming more actively involved about it. Okay. And what did that look like when you say more actively involved? How did things change? Well, first, it was just kind of, um, you know, being able to talk about Parkinson's mm-hmm. and, you know, coming to grip with it, grips with it and, you know, you know, um, being more open about it and just kind of mm-hmm. I think some of the stuff that you, you carry inside when you've got a, a, mm-hmm. a same diagnosis like that. And then eventually it became, what can I do about it? And um, it seemed to be more and more the exercise was something that was positive on Parkinson's. It didn't seem to matter whether you rode a bike or, and I had all these exercises. I ran track in college and I, you know, I've done an Ironman mm-hmm. maybe two long time ago but i used to do i've always done a lot of exercising i hadn't done anything since my diagnosis and finally you know i said well i'll, I'll try something and so my wife got me hooked up with a personal trainer okay so trainer for about three months before i moved down to florida i mean i moved down here before my wife and kids got here and um and when i got down here i just kind of fell across across the gym it was just the one that was down the street i walked into it not knowing anything about crossfit wow that's yeah, rare. It, I think, what was it, you know, maybe it's better that you didn't know anything about it. So you weren't yeah, scared away. <laughs> but what did you think when you walked in the door? I was very intimidated. You know, first of all, I was in my late forties, mm-hmm. early fifties. And, and these kids were in there throwing weight, big weights around. I was in there. <laughs> I could do a pull up, you know, why they did one the first day, you know, and, um, <laughs> I had a dad bod going on and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was, it was very intimidating. You know, the coaches, I've been very fortunate the whole time in my CrossFit journey. I've had very supportive coaches, and that's really made mm-hmm. a big difference. And, and the CrossFit community is so embracing and accepting. And really, all you know, for me, it was it was great. And then the competitive nature of CrossFit, I'm a very competitive person. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of people um, who do CrossFit are also very competitive people. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so for me, that competitiveness, even though a lot of times you just competing against yourself, was very addicting to me. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And then, um, I, I responded very positive to it. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. Positive for me. Can we back up just for a second? I guess we should have done this earlier, but for people listening who are not familiar, can you just explain what Parkinson's disease is, and then why we think exercise can have a positive impact? Now I'll explain. Not as a, not as a neurologist, because I'm not, but I'll explain it to patient. Okay. That's <laughs> so, who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Parkinson's is a problem with um, your substantia nigra, which is in the deep part of your brain, um, and it produces a chemical called dopamine. And once you lose about 80% of your substantia nigra, your dopamine levels fall low enough that you start to have symptoms. And so although I was 36 when I had my diagnosis, I had already lost about 80% of my substantia nigra by that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, Parkinson's generally... Patients often present with a tremor, but sometimes they can just present with stiffness. Um, it's, and it's much more than just, just a tremor in old folks. It's, it's stiffness. It's, it's uh, difficulty with gait, mm-hmm. disturbances. Um, there's um, often a lot of anxiety and depression that goes with Parkinson's because of the lack of dopamine. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, so these pay- often have falls and so that. I've been very fortunate that I haven't had any of the mental uh, 
because I don't think I've had any, any of the mental um, <laughs> compensations that are often occur with Parkinson's, but sometimes there's solution, hallucinations and dementia as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, you know, we think, like you said, there's been so much research on exercise and particularly I've seen a lot um, on cycling and Parkinson's. And we think mainly because that's increasing the dopamine. And so when the dopamine is higher then that, minimizes some of the symptoms that you may experience correct that's right that's good right and i and i feel i, I feel i feel better i start moving better once i get into a workout mm-hmm. and then after the workout that that will continue for about four hours uh, and then it'll continue for about a day afterwards so most most benefits about four hours after i work out and then usually for, uh for, for the rest of the day so if i don't work out the day before the following day i don't feel as well mm-hmm. I, I have a lot more slow, slowness in my movement wow Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Insomnia, constipation, and that—that's just the motor complications of Parkinson's. The whole non-motor stuff is, is, is also in there. It's—it's it, it, it's pretty bad disease. Yeah, well, it sounds. I mean, that has to be kind of really cool, though, to be able to do the exercise and then see an immediate impact in terms of your symptoms um, and see that correlation. Because oftentimes, I think, you know maybe people do exercise because they know it's good for them in the long term, but to be able to see a real impact on your symptoms in the moment must be pretty gratifying. It is. And, and you know, I, I tell all these kids, I uh, said kids, but all these folks who cross it, you know, you guys get to do cross it because you want to. I do cross it because I have to. Yeah. It's a matter of life or death. Yeah. So my, my quality of life won't be the same if I stop exercising. And so, you know, whether, and it doesn't really matter. You're right. Whether you cycle whether you do cross it, whether you do ballroom dancing, as long as it's exertional exercise, where you're getting mm-hmm. your heart rate up and really, you know, um, it's intensity, the intensity of your workouts enough that it gets you going, um, then then it seems to have a benefit. But going out for long rides, I tried going out for long cycles, I go out and ride, ride uh, my bike 100 miles, come back, and I won't be able to walk across the garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, biking is off, most of the studies you write are with biking. It's mostly because biking is a very safe thing to do. You can put them somewhere on a stationary bike and Stand next to them, and Parkinson's patients won't fall off the bike if it's mm-hmm. stationary. Mm-hmm. Uh, with CrossFit, we get throwing big weights around sometimes. So it's a little more um, challenging in terms of safety. That's true. Can you talk about some of the benefits you've noticed, maybe from doing different functional movements, or the the type of exercise that you have in CrossFit? How that's impacted, maybe you know your balance or um, other symptoms that you might have. Uh, I'm not sure if there's one particular movement or or, or movements that are better than others for, for, for certain symptoms that I have. I just know it's a conglomeration. I, and I usually, my, my day is, is I do, I do CrossFit, I do yoga and I do boxing. Mm. Those, are, those are three hours out of my day that I do. And so I'm not sure which benefits what, um, but you know, I know for me, I, I can do strict movements very well, strict pull-ups. I can do squats very well, cyclic squats. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get me to do a snatch squat, a snatch, a clean snatch or, mm-hmm. or a squat clean. And I just can't do that. Well, it makes sense, I guess, with the increased just neurological demand and coordination with yeah. some of those movements like the snatch. Yeah. I uh, just not very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably like most of us, that's probably one of the hardest movements in CrossFit to do. But I did hear that you you got your muscle up um, once you had been doing CrossFit yeah, yeah, for a little yeah. while, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I guess it was a muscle up and um, I just finished the, you know, this year we had the neuroadaptive division for the, for the Open. Mm-hmm. I did real well in that. I was very pleased. So That's for me, awesome. that was a great experience. Yeah. That's so great. I'm so glad they had that division this year. Um, that must've been really cool to be able to compete. And I, I think just in general, the way that the open this year, you were able to really hone in and compete against 
sort of people that were in a similar like ability level or domain to you. And you can split it up, whether it's competing against doctors who do CrossFit, competing in the neuroadaptive division, competing in people in your local community, you can slice it however you want. Right. But I think, I kind of think it's akin to, you know, wrestlers in high school, they have different weight classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's true. You know, the last, the last five years when I did that, they opened, um, I was in the you know, eighth or ninth percentile for my age group. And then, and then this time I was in, I was in, in the top 10 for the North America, which was very pleasing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so can you talk about, you said, you know, you started to notice benefits after you were doing CrossFit. What were some of the things other than, you know, you mentioned the immediate improvement in your symptoms for a few hours afterwards, but what were some of the other benefits that you noticed from doing CrossFit, being in the CrossFit affiliate? The, the biggest, the biggest benefit is, is that of the, the sense of community. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that was, that was a problem. That's why the, the pandemic has been so difficult. So I took a year off of CrossFit and just worked out in my, in my garage here. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's that, that accepting in the community and the support of the community that's really made, made a difference for me. You feel engaged. You're, you're really participating in other people's workouts. And, 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 and it's, it's much more of a community than just kind of an isolating exercise. Absolutely. I think... You know, I've felt that too, just finally being able to go back into the gym, realizing how big of an impact that community makes, just being around other people and working out around other people um, and how much I missed that over the past year. And, you know, uh, go ahead. yeah, so, so now once I got my shots um, uh, and I went right back to, to, a, to a new box because our old box mm-hmm. was closed and, um, you know, have been very, uh, very fortunate with the, the situation. That's great. But it looks like you've got a great garage gym there. I can see on the video. We so. do, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a- no, when, when, our, when our box closed, I bought half the equipment. Half from oh, the so that's, I have that's from- lucky. Yeah, so, I, so <laughs> and I have two kids who, who do CrossFit. My parents actually in the mid '80s come over and do it. And my my kids belong to the affiliate. My parents don't, but they'll come over here. And my dad will do push presses with thirty pound dumbbells and stuff uh. like that. In his, in his mid '80s, so I'm real proud, real proud of my mom. Where she has for a weight belt for Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you're creating your own little community with family at home too. Right. <laughs> that's so amazing. And then also you've been involved, you know, it's not just that CrossFit has benefited you personally and your symptoms and the, the progression of your Parkinson's disease, but um, you also had, it's been a great way for you to be able to give back and to bring awareness um, and use the power of the community to help other people. And so You've been involved in a uh, annual, what you call a Foxwad, which raises uh, money for Parkinson's research. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, you know, part of um, this whole process for me, CrossFit has been so accept- so accepting, and I want to help and kind of get the word out about exercise. And so, um, I, I we thought we we talked to Michael J. Fox Foundation. They said, "Well, why don't you do a benefit?" So we started just locally to try to get the word out about exercise. So I had the local um, state representative come over and the raw just come and talk. And we, we got together. We had 110 people from Panama City and Panama City Beach come. So there were six boxes in our community. Five mm-hmm. of those boxes closed and the other one hosted. And, wow. and those boxes lost money, even though I wasn't a member there and sent their members to our, our box. We had 110 okay. people uh, participate that first year. Second year, we, we had 14 host gyms across the globe. Three of those were in England. We had over 700 people compete. That's amazing. But yeah. And so, so it was, it was a great opportunity to kind of get the word out. Absolutely. So, so I've, I've talked to people 
everywhere from South Africa to England over the phone about you know my my story in terms of uh, CrossFit. That's so, so amazing. More people, I hopefully get the word out. And Absolutely. And I'm, okay. Go go ahead. Go ahead. So we're planning on this this upcoming um, September 18th to 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 move forward with the next uh, next version of the Foxwad um, Foxwad three. Um, so we're excited about that. Not sure exactly what the workout's going to be, um, yeah, but uh, if you're interested, um, it will be the web address, which is not up yet, will be www.pushnumber4parkinsons.com. Pushforparkinsons.com. Cool. We'll link to that. And then when it's live, people will be able to find it. But super exciting. And I know a tough year with, um, you know, with the pandemic, not being able to host the, the in-person events, but hopefully this will be your biggest year ever. And, and there'll be more people who get involved and do the workout. Florida's wide slam open, so it is what it is. <laughs> That's amazing. I know you've also really been a big advocate for um, really to push to recognize CrossFit as an exercise modality that can be helpful for people dealing with Parkinson's. Um, can you just talk about that or anyone else that you know that has has been able to use CrossFit um, to help with their symptoms? So uh, unfortunately, the, the evidence for CrossFit is really kind of anecdotal. My story, a couple other stories of people I know who do but Parkinson's have reached out to me over mm -hmm. the last couple of years um, to CrossFit. Um, but and most of the, the literature in terms of the Parkinson's and exercise, whether it be cycling or boxing, have very small numbers in terms of the studies. So I've gone together with one of the researchers at University of Arkansas, a physical therapist, who's very interested in doing a randomized controlled trial of CrossFit. So patients who are newly diagnosed with Parkinson and randomized mm -hmm. So like flipping a coin, putting them in one place or in one group or the other. Have one group start CrossFit, the other just be treated as they would normally be treated and compare the outcomes of those two groups. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm convinced that Parkinson's can be, uh, can be, can do, can, can be um, treated with CrossFit in a safe fashion. Um, but now we just need some evidence to prove that it's beneficial. So that, that's, we, he's applied for some funding for that. So hopefully we'll get some funding and be able to move forward. That's exciting. That would be a great study. Um, and I just have to think, you know, just um, sort of theoretically that CrossFit should have such an incredible impact because of the way that it incorporates um, so many functional movements. And when we talk about even in the level one, we, we talk about all the 10 general physical skills and the more organic skills and the mineralogical skills. And so there's a lot of neurological adaptation that happens by doing these functional movements and things like jumping and Olympic weightlifting and um, balance and all those things that you would think would have a great impact on the symptoms of Parkinson's and then also translate into daily activities too. Yeah. Yeah. As well as, well as just, you know, the, the constant very nature of it, um, you know, mm -hmm. constantly creating those new pathways, I think is important too. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think for me, CrossFit's been perfect in terms of the exercise that I can do to stay mm -hmm. active and to, and to be engaged in the community. How, how do you think uh, your life is different right now, having found CrossFit and doing this and doing sort of your routine of CrossFit and yoga and boxing every day versus if it had been, if you hadn't started exercising? Uh, well, I would have had to retire a lot earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's yeah, maybe my, just my walking around the house is very difficult sometimes. I have a little mobility scooter and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. if, I if I hadn't found exercise, I'd be in trouble. I really, I don't think I'd be very functional at all. Um, so without CrossFit and boxing and exercise in general, I'd be, I'd be in trouble. 
Mm-hmm. And not only from a physical standpoint, but just from a from a mental health standpoint as well. Not having an engaged community. Absolutely. And has it impacted at all your medical treatment? Um, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't think my neurologist really understands exactly what CrossFit is. In terms of, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, need to find, you need to find a CrossFitting neurologist. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, he's very supportive of exercise in general. And okay. uh, so, you know, most people, you know, he's a relatively young guy. And so most people know what CrossFit is, but they don't really understand exactly what it is. It's mm-hmm. a kind of, but until you experience it, it's hard to explain. Absolutely. Yeah. The best way is to show someone, I think. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I do want to ask just while we have you here, I know that just the topic of exercise in pregnancy is such a big one. And I've had others, you know, share their experience here on the podcast, but um, I'm wondering if you could just talk to that topic. If you have patients who are doing CrossFit um, before pregnancy and want to continue during or want to get back into it postpartum, what are your general advice or recommendations? I know this is not medical advice here on the podcast, no, but no, just no. sort of general principles that you know from practice and from the research that's out there. Sure. A couple things. Um, one is, you know, giving birth is, is one of the most physically demanding things that women have to do during their lifetimes. And that process of pushing and, 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 and just the whole physical demand of the, of the labor mm-hmm. process, I think it's very important to be in shape for that. And so I definitely recommend continuing the exercises with some variations. You know, don't get your temperature up too high in a sustained fashion. Don't get your heart rate up too high in a sustained fashion. Don't put yourself at risk for falls. And if you meet those criteria, then most people, I generally would say, you should be able to continue doing what you're doing in a modified fashion. That's great. That's and, great. You know, we, we did some research um, in East Carolina maybe uh, last maybe 10 years ago. We randomized patients to taking, uh, doing circuit training exercise and and the other group did not and and looked at the fetal variability during labor mm-hmm. and fetal effects of, of, of circuit training we found the increased variability which is the heart rate pattern has increased in the sympathetic and parasympathetic tones which is uh, uh, very um, reassuring sign or sign of fetal well-being was increased uh, during uh, in patients who were randomized to circuit training so that was very reassuring in terms of the fetal effects that's great. So, you know, maternal effects in terms of increasing strength and fitness to be able to go through labor and then fetal effects also seeming like the the babies do better during labor when their moms have been exercising. Yeah. And then you know, postpartum, you almost feel, say, take off six weeks. But I generally say, you know, come back, you can come back if the two of you delivered vaginally and just go slow because that's, you know, again, being part of an engaged community and the postpartum depression stuff. and. Mm-hmm. Or to get back into your usual routine, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And being mindful about how you how you progress back up to it, uh, not you know, like all of us competitive CrossFitters, making sure that we pace ourselves. Everything getting good, a little bit in good measure, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, great. Well, there's three questions that I usually ask everyone towards the end of the podcast. So. The first one I'd like to ask is, what are the three things that you do now on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? One is staying engaged. Um, mm. You know, um, being that good father, the good spouse, the good husband, the good friend. You know, I'm the one who reaches out to people. Um, and so you know, maintaining that involvement in my community is really mm-hmm. a good part in terms of my health. Um, no, I didn't ask before, but what has, I know you had um, your kids all after you were diagnosed. Um, what has it been like for your kids sort of seeing you go through this and facing this diagnosis? 
Um, I'm getting emotional because it's the hardest thing to talk about. Um, I, I'm so proud of them. They, they, they've really dealt with it very well. Um, you know, but they, they, my oldest is, um, is a CrossFitter, was very active in the Fox Wide. Um, my middle son is a gymnast. He went mm-hmm. to nationals two years in gymnastics, level 10. Wow. And now he's, he's, now he's doing CrossFit, so he's a beast. I'm sure he's so. just crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> getting ready. Three of us getting ready to go to the games together. We're going to camp out at the games. Oh, um, fun! Uh, up in up uh, in, in a couple of weeks. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Um, so we'll be up there. Uh, I'm not sure how the camping is going to go, but it'll, it'll, it'll go really well, really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be an but, adventure uh, for sure. <laughs> it's, so the, the kids have been very spoiled. And that's, it's all they've known is me with Parkinson's. And for them, it's, it's, it's a natural thing. But, um, you know, they've been very supportive. And, you know, sometimes I know it's harder when I say, can you guys take the trash out? I just can't do that today. I'm not walking well today. Can you take the trash out? And they always say yes. Sometimes it's a well, you know. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. And my wife's been very supportive in this process, too. My whole family, I've been very lucky. Very, very lucky. That's amazing. It's so important to have that support. And also, I'm sure it gives you a lot of um, sort of motivation and purpose as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Sorry, I interrupted you. Two more things that you do on a regular basis that haven't been. Exercise, exercise. We talked about mm-hmm. you know, my, my daily routine of boxing and and, and yoga. And yoga. I've always been surprised at how how beneficial that is. Um, I do that four days a week, and and it's really been helpful for me in terms of just avoiding injury. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just, I'm, I'm 56 years old and. You know, I'm not quite put together the way I used to be. <laughs> and so, you know, your, your risk for injury, but the yoga has really been helpful the, the last few months in terms of preventing that from happening. So exercise, exercise. I guess the last thing is um, cutting myself some slack. So, you know, um, yes. cutting myself some You know, it's okay if I don't get that last deadlift or if I don't get that last rep in before the, the clock went out. Um, and just being, you know, nobody's going to die. It's going to be okay. Um, put things in know, perspective, yeah perspective and, you know if, if i can't if i freeze or i can't walk across the, the floor um even if it's an un, uh, it's inopportune time or it's you know embarrassing um you know all of a sudden i'm people having trying to have a private conversation i'm there i can't move away you know mm-hmm. um you know that that's um it's, it can be awkward sometimes just kind of giving myself some forgiveness for that um and and, and moving on i think it's 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 it's, 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 it's part of my health yeah Good, good advice for all of us. I think just give yourself some grace and, um, yeah. Uh, all right. What's one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it, or something that you're working on? Sleep hygiene, oh, man. Mm, yeah, it's part, a tough part, part, one. You know, part of Parkinson's is the insomnia is really resistance therapy, and oh. man, I, I can be up in the middle of the night all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, sleep hygiene, you know, in terms of being a regular routine, in terms of doing the same things ritualistic every time you go to sleep. Having your room cool, not doing um, screen time 30 minutes before you go to bed, not talking about anything stressful 30 minutes before you go to bed. Those basic kind of concepts um, are sometimes hard to do, but they're so important because if you're up at night, then people tend to, at least I tend to eat at night, you know, and that's not good for you. And um, you know, this leads to other problems. And so, you know, I think if I was able to get better night sleep, that would be that would be very beneficial. And then also to inc- incorporate strategic napping. And so you mm, yeah. rest. And then you're resident, you did you did strategic <laughs> mapping. I remember we, had, we took a class on strategic mapping at Staffordly. That's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so maybe this incorporates so that strategic mapping better more in my life. So you know, sleep gets it's, it's so important in terms of just your recovery, your feeling of well-being. Mm-hmm. You don't get good sleep, it's it's tough to recover sometimes. So true. So true. I love that term too, strategic napping. That's great. <laughs> Isn't that a great term? <laughs> I'm gonna have to try that. All right. Um, what last question and what does a healthy life look like to you? I guess for me a healthy life is um having the physical, emotional, and uh, mental abilities to, to, or well-being to be able to possibly contribute to those in your life who are important to you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Um, well, before we wrap up here, I did want to just ask if you had any other final thoughts, anything that you wanted to share, um, or any advice to others who are facing um, maybe a new diagnosis, whether it's Parkinson's disease or something else, um, about just sort of the approach and, and advice that you would give to them. Yeah, don't do what I did in terms of isolating and ignore. <laughs> it doesn't work and eventually it catches up to you. And, and your life will be much more enriching if you, if you, if you kind of tackle it on um, and uh, head, head, head on um, and just kind of go after it. That's great. That would be my, would be my advice. And, you know, and for people who are new, new to Parkinson's or know somebody who's new to Parkinson's, um, get them off the couch and, and get them moving. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter whether you're cycling or walking or do something to increase your heart rate and get moving. Um, and then, you know, if you do it in a sense of community, I think it's even more beneficial. But get people moving around, it's very, very helpful. Absolutely. You heard it. Get people moving. I love it. Um, that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much, um, Dr. Livingston. I really appreciate you taking the time and being so willing to share your story and, um, you know, just how how you have you said that initially maybe you didn't take the best approach and wish you would have done things a little bit differently but you moved past it and now are being such an advocate for so many other people um and just sharing your story and then all the things that you're doing to try to get the word out there and help help people improve um, their quality of life with parkinson's so make sure for people listening that you check out the site again can you repeat that again it's Push for Parkinson's. Number four, Parkinson's.com. Parkinson's, if you want to participate this year in September. Um, And is there anywhere else that people can um, reach out to if they wanted to get in contact? Um, Yeah, I'm on Facebook under Jeff Livingston. Um, That's probably the best way to get up with me. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you or someone you know has a story to share on a future episode of Pursuing Health, please write me at info at pursuing-health.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please also consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. 